The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Could Prince Harry be twice as popular as Bono in Ireland? The only reason I ask that is apparently pre-orders of his book have been twice as much as for Bono's superb memoir. So spare. We asked Lise Hand to review it for us for a number of reasons. One, that she it does our Books of the Year non-fiction every year. Uh, also because many years ago, in the week that Princess Diana died, I remember asking her for, to go to London on behalf of the Sunday Tribune. Then we got her to do a documentary series for The Last Word here. Uh, what was it, 20 years after the death of Princess Diana? So... Did you take to this book with any enthusiasm or did you just regard it as a chore and a job? Well, it was a pretty fast, it had to be a fairly fast turnaround. So, um, yeah, I, I probably would have read it eventually out of curiosity, but I, I mean, I wouldn't have, I just sort of didn't jump on it eagerly. But at the same time, I was kind of curious just to sort of see how it all hung together after so many, there have been so many leaks over the last while. Well, and despite all those leaks, I mean, did the leaks not perhaps persuade you, sure, I know all of what's in it now? I yeah, I did wonder had all the best bits been eviscerated. But that's the thing about about a book like that. Um, while they tend to, you know, the, the really sort of the juicy sort of li- little scenarios and tales tend to get leaked, quite often it's the details and the smaller details that are quite interesting or fascinating. And I have to say, I did really find it an enjoyable read for for several reasons. A, it's very well written. I mean, the amount of times I've picked up celebrity memoirs and it's like my day at the beach and I nearly weep because it's, you know, the writing is so terrible um, or else it's unbelievably pretentious. But the writing is actually very good in this. And I think it's... No, in, in fairness, it's the guy who did who Open did. for Andre Agassi, yeah. which is possibly the best sports autobiography ever. He also did um, Shoe Dog for Phil Knight, the owner of Nike. That's which right. Which I'd have slightly different issues with in that it's an ego fest on behalf of Knight. But he does yeah. actually make sure these are well written. He does. And he... I think what he's trying to do here, J.R. Moringer, is he's trying to... He's basically trying to make Harry sound like a prince, really. I mean, we know that Harry uh, isn't academic. That doesn't mean he's not bright, but he's not academic. And he, he's not particularly known for being massively articulate or well-read. Yeah, sorry, he, he actually has read the audio version of his own book. He has. Which might be the first book he's ever read, so. Well, apparently, probably the second after. He, did, he does say in this that he did read uh, John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, but that's the only book he actually name-checks. But, I mean, there's an erudition to this and a sort of a style to it. And... You know, there's a lot of very vivid description, but it's definitely not his words. I but, mean, yeah, d- but is it authentic then? Because well, this is the question. I mean, what I think is very interesting is I think Harry obviously has very vivid memories of things, and he describe he says this. He's not great at remembering necessarily conversations, but he has very vivid memories of places. And but I mean, the language isn't his. I mean, he describes you know the, the fields around Balmoral. He talks about the deer nibbled hills. Now, I mean, Harry could sit in front of a typewriter for 25 years and not come up with that sentence. So, and it's funny because the language goes from, it's very accessible language, but it goes from being quite literary um, with very vivid descriptions. And I find them very interesting. The little kind of homely touches about uh you know, his dad, who he calls Pa, you know, kind of hanging upside down like a bat doing yoga, you know, from rafters. Really? And yeah, and, you know, weird. I mean, it, the, talk about dysfunctional family. I mean, it, it really is bizarre. You, you know, his Princess Margaret, his aunt, who he calls Aunt Margot, you know, when they're exchanging Christmas gifts, he opens up, you know, his present from her and it's a biro. 
And then she goes, well, it's not just an ordinary barrow and there's a plastic duck attached to it. So, you know, he was like, oh, wow, thank you very much. Like, there's, Sorry, what age was he when that happened? This is the kind of stuff, though, you know, so I, I wasn't really reading it for the big reveals. It was just the inside, that inside stuff. So you have that. Then you have, obviously, incredibly, genuinely, really moving and touching um narratives and descriptions about, you know, his mother, how he dealt with his mother's death. I mean, the one, the first one that stopped me in my tracks was actually the night he was told when the night she died. And he said his father comes in and wakes him up and says, you know, darling boys, what he calls, uh, Charles calls him and, you know, explained what had happened. His mother had died. But then he just goes, according to the book, he just kind of goes off and leaves him in the room on his own for the rest of the night. Like this is a little 12 year old boy who's told his mother's died. And he, you know, according to this, he was literally just left to his own devices for the rest of the morning. And that's obviously where it started, where this sense of abandonment and that is just runs the whole way through this book is just began that they they handled it so badly from that very start. And if there's two kind of themes running through the book, it is obviously that the fact that Diana's death just literally shaped everything just threw his life off course and everything came from that and his visceral hatred of the press that's the other other thing that comes through i mean he you know at every hand's turn he blames the press for everything um and with reason with some reason uh, i can understand where it comes from you know for instance he, i mean he he reserves particular hatred for a certain uk news uh, uh, newspaper editor who he can't even bring to say her name so he calls her rehabber uh, something like rehab or something. It's Rebecca Brooks, yeah. and uh, but he can't even bring her to bring himself to say her name. Now, along with you know, so you have this you know, and this stories about how he made a driver when he was in Paris for the two thousand and seven World Cup, and it was actually he was assigned a driver who was an Irish driver, not named, and he asked him, he made him drive him uh, through the, the the tunnel Port Dalma twice, trying to recreate it. He got one. This of his, is where his mother died in the car. Where accident. his mother died in the car crash. He got one of his aides to uh, show him. He wa- they wanted to see the photographs from the scene, and there is one heart-stopping kind of par- you know passage where he says he was looking at the photograph of her dead in the car, and he couldn't understand. There was all these sort of halos around her, and he realised it was flashbulbs, and he said he didn't realise until that moment the last thing that his mother would have seen was flashbulbs. So, I mean, you know, he's. I mean, it's not necessarily... So one of the things that came up in that was that he's in the book he writes about how as a teenager he imagined that she had staged her death and that oh, she yes, was... yes, Which would suggest that he never saw her body in the coffin, that they must have kept the coffin closed from him. Oh yeah, obviously not because, well, that's quite clear and that, you know, so it, there's trauma the whole way through this and... Um, but does but he, is he appreciative of the trauma that his brother William now, suffered? That is really interesting and I was about to say that and it's interesting you should pick up on that, Matt, because one of the things that struck me was his absolute self-absorption. He never, I mean, you know, there's all these, I mean, totally normal brother stuff. You know, Harry didn't, you know, he, Will didn't like my beard. Will was jealous of this. Will got the bigger room in Balmoral Palace. Well, boo, bloody who? Um, you know, he's the older kid. It's the younger kid. We're all spares. Every second kid is a spare in some sense. You get the hand-me-down stuff. So I was kind of reading that going, oh, for God's sakes. But not once does he acknowledge that maybe Will's was going through, William was going through his own pain and was dealing it with in in a different way. Never once does he look outside the sort of the the ambit of his own pain and try and maybe look at his brother through those sort of eyes. Uh, so there is that sort of, you know, pity poor me to a certain extent. But, you know, the I mean, the book ranges through everything. I mean, it goes through his, you know, him joining the army and it goes into quite detail about, you know, his and t- shocking tutors. detail about killing at least 25 people, which he almost yeah. relegates to sort of a video game. 
And the, the like the tone goes between, it vacillates between being, you know, this heart ranting stuff to being quite sort of the macho clipped. You can almost hear him dictate the stuff in his head, you know, into into the tape for, you know, for the, the, the ghostwriter. But then there's sort of, mo- I mean, it also made me laugh a couple of times. I mean, there was one, you know, he talks about the royal todger, you know, the, you know, the, the jolly todger that, you know. And That's when he, he got the frostbite. Got the frostbite and. Uh, there was one passage I think that probably make any woman particularly laugh where he said that he rang a female friend of his and she recommended that he apply uh, Elizabeth Arden cream to the uh, affected area. There's one particular type of cream, Elizabeth Arden cream, that's sort of used for everything, right? And and then he, as soon as he opened the, the you know, the, the tin, he it has a very distinctive smell and you remember his mother used to use that, you know, and I was kind of thinking, God, they'd have to, you know, dig up Freud now to deal with that particular thing. And then they go into all the te- the therapy and, you know, him trying to deal with his pain and meeting Megan. And um, I mean, what he, about the stepmother? Oh, yeah. Oh, he doesn't like, oh, yeah. Camilla now does. Yeah, no. You see, this is what amuses me about the hysterical British media coverage of the last week or two yeah. rushing to her defence when they spent a decade vilifying this woman. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, they, they did. I mean, she was the absolutely, and he even calls her the other woman. And there's a lot of sort of snark in the book as well. You know, there really is. And he doesn't even acknowledge, say, for instance, that, uh, you know, when, when Kate uh, started dating Wills, I mean, she was known as Weighty Katie and her, her mother, Kate, you know, who used to be an air hostess, all the sort of braying hoorays used to call her, dismiss her as doors to manual or whatever it was. You know, I mean, there's, you know, this is, you know, there, like, it, you know, she Kate had her share of, of 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 stuff as well, but you know, it's look, it's a really, it's but it's really well written. It's a really interesting read, and it's all a little stuff that I really liked. And but I mean, would you need to be a fan of the British? No, royal I don't family. think you would actually, because it's actually, it's. I think if you're anyway nosy and you're just sort of like getting a sort of a glimpse of people's lives, you know, it is it is interesting. And but some people have said, you know, well, you know, he didn't really diss the monarchy. I'm not sure about that. There's a couple of paragraph passages in it that I went, my God, like he was describing, you know, dinner in one of the, I can't remember if it was Sandringham or Balmoral. And he made them all sound like a bunch of kind of Miss Havishams with added tiaras, you know, just the sort of the awfulness of the staidness of the dinners. And then in almost the second or third last page, you know, he's talking just after confrontation he had with Charles and William. Like he's talking about, they were in this garden and he was talking about, um, you know, how the whole sort of royal family is sort of, you know, surrounded by death all the time. And then he sort of says something like, you know, well, maybe we're a death cult. You know, some people call us a cult, but maybe what we are is a death cult. Well, is he trying to bring it down, do you think, with this book? Do you get well, the sense that he would like to sort of blow up the monarchy? I think he's of two minds of, of it. I think he's genuinely, you see, this is always the trouble. He was half in, half, he wanted to be half in, half out, didn't get that. Granny, you know, granny said no. Um, so he was out. And I'm not sure. I kind of finished this book and I really didn't know what he wanted. You know, he sort of says, I'd like to reconcile with, with his brother. But Janie, I, I don't know. It's going to, you know, it'll take, I think it might take a queer amount of, of reconciliation after this. But I have to say, I did enjoy it more than I thought. I have, there's no doubt about it. Aidan texts in to say, uh, Harry, really? For me, I couldn't give a flying feck, but I'm fascinated as to why this is so interesting to a large Irish audience. It's bonkers, really. 
It's so popular, isn't it? And the Americans go mad for this. So those 400,000 book sales, I'd imagine at least half of them, probably way more in the United well, States of America. It's, it's, so, uh, Sky was reporting just a while ago that it's now the fastest selling book, uh, hard, hard um, non-fiction book of all time, um, which is quite extraordinary. And Despite all the publicity and perhaps you'd say they'd overdone the publicity. Yeah, but it is. See, it's a soap. We don't, look, you know, we don't really have any skin in the game. So we can sit back and enjoy this. I mean, you know, I called it, you know, I always call it Southwesters. You know, that's because it is just this soap. So, you know, we can, I mean, I don't care. I'm not on Prince, you know, on Team Harry or Team, you know, Meghan or Team William. But I kind of like, it's a bit of escapism because it doesn't really affect my life. And I mean, at the end of the day, he could have called it first world problems. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day. But having said that, it's a rattling good read. Where's your spare for doing the review? Where's my what? Your spare, Pascal Donoghue. Oh, my spare. Absolutely. Well, you know, I might drop this into the department of the way. So yeah, I'd say he didn't have time to come in and do the book review with you this time. Claire says, I can't comprehend the blame the media gets for Diana's death. It was a drunk and drug driver who killed her. She's uh, Yes, that is absolutely correct. And he was completely wrong to blame the press on that. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, F-